Shung Chung, everybody, and welcome back to A Good Show's About to Start, which is apparently what that means in Mandarin. I don't know, I just got it off the wiki. Welcome back to Keep Em Flying, a Firefly podcast. As ever, I am your host, Andrew Leyland, and I am joined by Mr. Paul Spataro. Hello. And Mr. Dr. Shepard, I don't know what title he has for this show, Bill Robinson. Well, for this show, I will be known as Magnum Walsh. <laughs> Is that the name that you're going by? Yes, yes, Magnum Walsh. It's it's a very good name. I approve wholeheartedly. To match what we will discuss in the show a little bit. Okay, okay. Right, well, today uh, we will be discussing episode eight of Firefly, Out of Gas, written by Tim Minear, directed by David Solomon, originally heard on October 25th, 2002. My God, that's a long wow. time ago. But as usual, let's start the show with, do we have any Firefly news? Well, Not Firefly. Are you going to talk about uh, the new, the recent casting in a certain movie? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I was, uh, I was just but it's, it's another casting rumor because I haven't seen any confirmation on it. I saw a movie, fo- a a mock up photo. I don't know if uh, like like a set photo that showed a certain person as a certain other person. The thing is, every comic book, every male comic book role that comes up, people say, "Oh, Nathan Fillion would be perfect for that." Right. That, that's been the thing for the last 10 years. And But Simon Williams is a pretty good casting for him. I think so. I, I think, you know, I was like, okay, I could definitely see that. But now, will, will we actually... He's getting a little older. But will we actually see him? Or because the way it was described was that there's going to be, like, in the background, there's movie posters of him. And as his career as Simon Williams, the actor... um. Okay, if anybody doesn't know who Simon Williams is, a quick he is a Avengers character. Uh, he was actually a villain at first. Uh, Wonder Man. Wonder Man. And um, that is the character that we are talking about. So he may not actually be seen acting, but that's all we really know right now is that there, there's at least set photos of mock-up movie posters with Simon Williams, like a like a Simon Williams festival or retrospective that's going on in the background or something along those lines. That's what I read. Could yeah. Archon be far behind? You've, you've seen, I've seen pictures of the posters of his movie. Right. The movie. So we, we don't know if Fillion himself is going to be in the film as Simon Williams. Because as of this writing, it seems like Castle is going to get renewed for a ninth season. So presumably he's busy sorting that out. Although at the moment he would be on hiatus whilst they're filming Guardians of the Galaxy 2. So there's no reason he couldn't do a cameo like he did in Guardians of the Galaxy 1. Mm-hmm. Although he wasn't recognisable in Guardians of the Galaxy. Well, now, did he actually do the cameo or did he just do the voice? Uh, I don't know. I've not got a clue. That's what I'm, Whether he was in it or whether it was just a voiceover, I don't know. See, I thought you were talking about Alan Tudgett being in Star Wars Rogue One, which I didn't know. I, I know that oh. now. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that, that either. I, I didn't know Alan Tudgett was in this film, this new Star Wars film, because um, I wasn't overly interested in the anthology ones. I was like, young Han Solo, no. Young Obi-Wan, I'm down. Ewan McGregor back, I'm down with that. But young Han Solo with that Harrison Ford, a little bit dubious. And Rogue One, I was a little bit, you know, I want this to be on Rebels. I want this to be the Rebels that do this in the cartoon. But that trailer was damn good. Mm-hmm. It did look good. So they kind of have got me on board again. Damn you, Star Wars. Uh, and apparently, <laughs> Alan Tudyuk's in it. 
I don't know who he's playing. I don't know whether it's he's Alan Tudyuk or whether he's a motion capture character or just a voiceover or whatever. But our very own Serenity pilot, Mr. Wash, is in Rogue One. So that's two franchises to his belt. He'll be the he'll be the Death Star pilot. You reckon? He's just got to get into Star Trek, and he's he's got the trifecta. Yeah, he's done very well. So well done, Alan Tudyuk, for being in Star Wars Rogue One. But that's that's pretty much it. So Fillion's in Guardians Two. Tudyuk's in Star Wars. Good going, guys. And there we go. That's our news. That that's the news as far as we know it. Um, Adam Baldwin was recently in another episode of Castle. That's kind of a Firefly crossover, and Kaylee is going to be an episode that I've not watched yet. She cool. she was actually in an episode of uh, DC's Legends of Tomorrow. She was. You're absolutely yes. playing a relative of Brandon Routh's, if memory serves. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, at first he thought it was his, like his great 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 granddaughter, but then actually might be like his great 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 grandniece. Yeah. So so they're all still around and doing stuff, but uh, the Adam Baldwin episode was fun because Beckett wasn't in it at all. So you can just watch that episode as a standalone comedy episode if you want to, and there's no recurring plot lines or anything. But it seems mm. that they've, they've took that episode to heart and axed her from series now. So well done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh... Oh, because you watch Castle, don't you, Bill? I have not watched it lately. Uh, I'm a little bit behind, but but yeah, I, I I have seen the first few seasons. I just need to get caught back up. Yeah, I, I was surprised that she was she was removed. What is uh, oh I can't pronounce her name. Sanjik. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I was amazed. Yeah, it's like doing heart to heart without Jennifer Hart. Or moonlighting without Sybil oh, Shepherd. Yeah. <laughs> Are we getting into it was Moida? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Nice crossover, fantastic cast. Well done. All right, well, if if that's news, should we uh, go straight into the synopsis? Let's. Okay. Bill found us this synopsis on Wikipedia. Anyway, before we do the synopsis, do oh, we have any email? Um, not for this show, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> None of these have been released, Paul, as of this recording. You know, I thought the downloads were low. <laughs> <laughs> you know when it's all over? We'll do an episode that is just emails. <laughs> All right, yeah, that's yeah. fine. But we're going to start releasing them. Peek behind the curtain, lovely listener. As of this episode recording, we plan to start releasing this, so we should start getting feedback. So are we going to set up an email address that we can tell the lovely listeners about, or are they just going to send feedback to listen to the profits at gmail.com? Yeah, let's, let's just stay with listen to the profits, because too many passwords make my head hurt. <laughs> All right, so if you want to feedback on any of the shows you've heard so far, listen to the profit at gmail.com is where you want to do it. But by the time you hear this, we'll have probably finished. It's the way it works. But we'll do an email episode. We will do a feedback episode about what you thought of the show and what you thought of Firefly and just general chit-chat if you want to talk to us. It's always very nice. A do in the future. Yes. Mm. That's a tease. Anyway, let's, uh, like I said, Bill found this in uh, Well, actually... Paul posted it. I found two synopsises. This one that that's in the that uh, chat, but the other one, oh. I, like I said, you might as well just read the script. <laughs> yeah, 
In t- it's really long. Yeah. In terms of plot, this one doesn't really have a lot going on. In terms of how the script is structured, it would be very complicated to synopsis. So mm-hmm. let's give this Wikipedia entry a go that, uh, that Bill found us. And here we go. While in deep space, the ship's compression coil blows out, disabling the engine and critically injuring Zoe. With the ship quickly losing oxygen and heat, Mal orders the crew to divide into two groups and head off in opposite directions in the shuttles, whilst he stays behind with the ship in case someone picks up the distress signal. Hours later, another ship does indeed show up. Mal bargains with the captain for a new compression coil, but when he sees that Mal is truly alone and the ship is stranded, he shoots Mal and decides to commandeer Serenity for himself. Mal turns the tables by grabbing a nearby gun when the hostile crew's backs are turned, successfully chasing them out of the ship. Bleeding from a stomach wound and on the verge of passing out, Mal manages to get the new compression coil installed correctly and restarts Serenity's engines. He then staggers up to the bridge but is unable to recall the shuttles before blood loss renders him unconscious. He wakes up in the infirmary surrounded by the rest of the crew. A supine but conscious Zoe welcomes him back to awareness. She takes responsibility for ignoring his orders and returning to Serenity and promises not to do it again. As Mal drifts off, he asks if y'all gonna be here when I wake up and Book assures him that they will. Spread throughout the episode, a sequence of flashbacks shows the assembly of the crew. First, Mal welcomes his fellow former soldier Zoe aboard Serenity and discloses intentions to make her space-worthy again. The next two to join the team are Hoban Washburn, an accomplished pilot with a moustache which bothers Zoe, and a laid-back mechanic named Bester. On a layover for repairs, Bester brings a young woman to the engine room for some illicit coupling. This woman, Kaylee Fry, soon replaces him as engineer when she shows an instinctive rapport with the ship's engines, diagnosing during sex a technical problem Bester couldn't fix. The next recruit is Inara Serra, who uses a respectable status as a companion to bargain for a 25% discount on the rent. She also insists that Mal never call her a whore again, a promise that he is frequently broken. The final member is Jane Cobb, a tracker and enforcer whose partners are cheating him out of his fur sure. He defects with enthusiasm when Mal offers him a bigger cut of the payoff and his own room. The episode closes with a final flashback showing Mal laying eyes on Serenity for the first time. Uh, all things considered, that's probably as good a job as you could do with synopsis as this one. Yeah, yeah. This, this is a tough one to synopsize because it was, you know, kind of Pulp Fiction style <laughs> as far as jumping back and forth through the timeline. Mm. And and I think breaking it up into separate segments is better than trying to do it in sequential order of how it was on the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's not a synopsis that really does the episode justice to be honest with you, because uh, the peak behind the curtain, I'm giving this five. Before... I'm giving it a numerical grade of some sort. <laughs> so the, the the flashback structure of it is largely going through Mal's head as he's dying. So it's putting together where Serenity came from and how the crew all came to be, and it's just structured so magnificently in the actual show, you kind of ignore that there isn't much of a plot to it. Like you just, Well, it's also... I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, it's all right. I think it's also kind of different in the fact that it's not only flashing back to all of these key moments, but it's also flashing back entwined with that mm. to how he got into this situation. Right. So, so you really got three things going on at once. You have him trying to repair the ship. You have flashbacks of how the ship got to be the, the, in the shape it's in. And then you have more flashbacks to how the crew got put together. Yeah. So there's really three different things going on at once. And it is a little confusing, but I think it's directed well enough that you can follow it 
without having to hurt your brain too much. It's an episode that does benefit from watching it straight away if you've only ever watched it the first time, because then you you get what it's going for. Tim Manier says in the Firefly Companion Volume 2, Fox wanted him to restructure the script so it was in chronological order. Well, I, could, I could see where somebody who's, you know, we've talked about this before, how this show is really not the multitask show. You kind of have to pay attention because there's a lot of things in the dialogue that are going on. And, and if you're really not watching closely, you're going to miss some key moments and you're not going to get what's going on. And this this, exa- this episode is a prime example of that. Mm. I think it was edited well and that you can follow it if you're paying attention. Well, but if you're not paying attention, you'd be lost. Well, one of the one of the things I read in the production details, and I kind of noticed while, while watching, it says here, in order to distinguish between the three time frames and clarify events for the audience, the three time frames were shot using drastically different lighting. Scenes, yes. that, scenes that take place in the distant past, flashbacks, are lit with warm, dark tones, yellows, reds, golds, but all with a lot of shadow, shaded, and blurred lines in dark areas. Scenes that take place in the present and or near past, depending on perspective, are shown with relatively normal lighting, bright with vivid color. And then scenes that are shown in the present and or near future, again, depending on perspective, are lit with a blue purple tint, oblique light sources and extreme sharp lines and contrast. So you can you know when it because some of the scenes like a door is opening and then the same door is seen in the flashback. So there's these little cuts you know, that that focus in on certain things on the ship, and then you it just melds seamlessly back over to the flashback. I, I definitely took note of that as I was watching it. And you and he also, again, the direction, I guess, on it, he did, a, I thought, a pretty good job of, he'd cut out, he'd have a character in the flashback, and when he shifted times, he would go to that same character immediately, so you'd see a difference in clothing or... Uh, you know, just general styles or whatever, so you'd know. Okay, I'm going into a different time period here. Mm. Yeah, I I think it's it's structured brilliantly because Minita argued that there isn't actually a chronological order to the story. He couldn't put it in chronological order. That would make even less sense. And he's he's kind of right because um, well, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't have any narrative flow to it if you did it in chronological order no so he was right to kind of fight his corner on that and he even said that if they make me restructure the script i'm quitting the show mm-hmm. so that's how strongly he felt about it i i think it's it's wonderfully structured i love the that it begins with him showing it to zoe and only later on we see him actually purchase it but as he falls to the floor in the very first frame and he's bleeding everywhere. You hear very slightly in the background, you hear the guy who's selling it to him. Right. Say you treat her properly and she'll she'll always bring you home. She'll be with you for the rest of her life. And again, that comes in right at the end of the show. I think it's one of the most perfectly formed scripts in television history. I really love it. I haven't I haven't considered it uh, in its historical perspective as far as that goes, but just. As a Firefly script, I thought it was wonderful. It's, it's, and I love the beginning of it. I love the, that this is, they want to just avoid everyone, so they're right in the middle of nowhere. They do establish yeah. right up front that the route that Mal has asked Wash to, to plot takes, is going to take them a week to get where they want to go rather than just a couple of hours, because Mal wants to be completely off the radar and just have some downtime and, and not be bothered by anybody. 
And that plays into the whole theme of this particular story, which is sometimes surviving his heroic in itself, which essentially is what the show's about. That our everyday struggles and everything that we do in our everyday lives to just to survive and keep our heads above water makes us heroes. And I, I love the opening of it. I love Zoe's just sarcastic nature when she says, you paid money for this on purpose. <laughs> and the, the, again, the dialogue in it is is gorgeous and magnificently written and beautifully played by everybody. But again, like like Paul just said, if you're not paying attention to it, you're not going to get what's going on. Yeah, I liked that they didn't go for the stereotypical Zoe and, and Wash were in love the first time they met each other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But she didn't. She didn't. When he spins around, I I I had forgot that scene, and that's that's you know. That's why I said Magnum Walsh, because he looks like Magnum P.I. with that mustache. And the Hawaiian <laughs> shirt. Funny. And the Hawaiian shirt. It's like, yeah. oh, my God. But I, I thought they showed a lot of depth. And, and for whatever reason, he's the character I keep latching onto. But they showed Walsh, and he had some more depth to him. You know, he didn't want to leave Zoe, so, so Mal had to basically take him and slam him up against the wall and make him leave. And, again, not stereotypical, because in the stereotypical – Plot, it would have been okay. I understand. You stay with her. We'll work with our, you know, we'll work on things without you. This was, no, no, no is, I need you to do this. Nobody else can do it. You have to go do this. Right. This I don't is, care that your wife is laying here dying. This is good because Mal really exerts, shows why he is a leader and why he's the captain. Because I mean, everybody's making a tough choice. Right. You know, he has to motivate everybody, keep everything going, try to get them out of this, you, you know, because, because Walsh. Isn't thinking, and he goes up on the bridge later, and you know he's like, "We need to boost the signal," and he's like, "For what?" You know, there's this big blow up, and then finally, you know, Walsh realizes that Mal is right in what he's telling him, and it's kind of funny the way they go, you know, right? Yeah, sure, I'll go do it. You know, and then he goes out on the outside of the ship and does does what he asked him to do. But my favorite uh, Jane has to tell them they're being stupid, screaming, using up the air. Yeah, yeah, Jacob's like. What are you fighting for at a time like this? Wasting all the oxygen. Yeah, because it's played like Jane actually cares. <laughs> yeah, but he just wants to keep living. Yeah, which it is a lovely bit. I suppose we need to set this up, because that synopsis didn't really tell everybody what happened. So basically, because they're in the middle of nowhere, they're just having a meal. And we come in in the middle of the meal, like Wash does. So we don't hear what they're all laughing at, which is a nice touch. Mm-hmm. And it's celebrating Simon's birthday, and then suddenly the compression coil blows. Now, if you remember... Way back in the first episode of this, uh, when Kaylee says, when they land on Whitefall, isn't it, in the very first episode, before they pick up Shepherd Book, she's walking down the, the ramp with, with Mal, and she says to him, we could do with a new con- compression coil. The old one's looking a bit funky. And Mal says, can't afford to buy one. You keep her flying. If he'd listened to her then and got a new compression coil, this wouldn't have happened. We would have had one less bullet in the gut. Yep. So I thought that was lovely touch that this was, if not necessarily planned, they set it up in the first episode that the compression coil was on its way out and they needed to do something about it. So that was lovely. Then there's an because the compression coil explodes, the crew are then trapped in the dining room for a bit while they vent the fire out of the area. And Zoe saves Kaylee's life by shoving her out of the way of the fireball, but she ends up in the infirmary. Now, apparently, that's because Zoe was off on her honeymoon with Lawrence Fishburne. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so, 
so that's why she's out the episode a bit. So you've already got this, suddenly it goes from being this nice, relaxed, everyone's having dinner scene to mass panic as Mal tries to vent the, the fire from Serenity, which is a really... The effect outside of the ship is really good as the flames go outside and then there's no oxygen, so the fire just dies off. I think you can argue a case that the flames zoom in through the corridors of Serenity. The CG is not particularly great, though. I think the CG there lacks because it's one of these things where the flames don't look bad, but as as they're flying through... They're not damaging anything. You just have the corridor staying exactly the same way. You, you know, just a. Well, I'm they, trying to remember what it was. There was there was. They it was either kind of in one of the Star Wars or one of the Star Trek movies that there's an explosion and the explosion looks fine, but when it's done, there's no debris. You know, there's no reason to believe there was anything there. Hmm. I, I don't remember which one it is, but that's what it reminded me of a little. Yeah, I mean. We can cut him some slack because it's 14 years ago on a TV budget. But what I did like is there was debris outside of Serenity. So when you see Serenity just hovering in space and not doing anything, if you look at the front of the ship, there's loads of barrels and other stuff that have obviously been blown out of the ship when they've expunged the flames. So that was a nice touch. I thought that was quite good. Mm-hmm. So Wash's, Wash's introduction is basically they just employ a pilot, isn't it? There's nothing particularly different about the way they bring Wash on board. The big surprise to this one was that the mechanic wasn't originally Kaylee. Yeah, that, that's a, that was a good scene. And basically it was Kato Kalin. Yeah. <laughs> Bester. Yeah, this this surfer guy is the mechanic. And I, I did just expect him to keep going, dude, when he was talking, and he didn't. And Kaylee's just <laughs> some squeeze that he's picked up on whatever planet they're on. And that was as we were talking about earlier, which I don't think is making it into the show, it just seemed like a surprising uh, character turn for Kaylee because she always presents as so innocent. But to think of her on a, you know, kind of a one night rendezvous with Bester uh, seems out of character. But I think what it does is instead of seeming to be something that doesn't fit with her character, it seems more like, okay, there's more to the character than we've seen so far. Yeah, well, see, I got from Kaylee here, my interpretation of this was she just wants a little bit of fun and adventure. So from the little that she gives away about her family, she's actually saying that her family, there's not much money going around at the minute, and it doesn't look like there's a lot of prospects for her. So being able to get on board Serenity and go off, I just get the impression she's sending all her wages that Mal pays her back home. No, that's all well and good. I just didn't see her as the type that would be on the ship with Bester. Well, yeah, maybe he's, he's got more to him than than we see. Well, but if it's, I mean, she might just, since she's so mechanically inclined, she wanted to find a way to get on the ship, and obviously she was in, she seemed to be enjoying what was going on. She was pretty loud. Oh, <laughs> yeah, no, no. Which that. was, and, and which, again, I don't, which, I don't think it was. Which threw me off it, because I was thinking, oh, that's not Kaylee. That, no, no. She, oh, oh, my God, that is her. It just she 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 seemed she's always seemed to me to be a little bit more innocent that if she was going to be attracted to somebody it would be to somebody with a little bit more substance to them but on the other hand if she is that innocent maybe she's also that naive and somehow you know ended up in a position like that and then you know whatever but it just it, it seemed a little again out of character but not necessarily wrong. Well, I mean, the portrayal we've got up to this point is that she does seem to be naive, innocent, and this kind of just threw, was just 
a complete opposite of what we've come to expect of her. And I mm-hmm. just think it was it was just jarring. I mean, it shows there's a little more to this character than we realized. Yeah, that's that's exactly you. you you've, you've capsulized what I was trying to say and done it better than me. Thank you, Bill. <laughs> yeah, I think it just shows what little we know of her, really. Because let's be, we've not really got the chance to. She's obviously somebody from we saw in Shindig. She fancies herself as being a little bit of a girly girl, but she clearly isn't. She wants to be as as sophisticated as Anara is, but she's a she's a tomboy. She likes getting her hands dirty. She likes fixing engines, and that's what she's good at. And I think on Serenity, she's found a place where people will just accept her for what she is, which again is another theme of the show: family as friends. Or friends as family. Or family is an old TV show on the set from the 70s. All that, yes. As, as is friends. As is friends. Friends is a TV show from the 90s. <laughs> yes, okay. Um, Don't get insight like that just anywhere. The flashback to Jane is the funniest. <laughs> I'm actually paying you. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I, lo- I loved Zoe's line. Which one? And she says, the ugly one. And Hal says, going to have to narrow it down a bit for me. <laughs> <laughs> Implying that they're all ugly ones, which they're not really. You know, Adam Baldwin's quite a striking looking guy compared to these two. The, the thing about Jane is you always got the impression that he talks about being available to the highest bidder. But you kind of think, oh, but, you know, he would never he's he's still loyal to, you know, Serenity and the crew and he would never turn on them, really. But then then this shows us, well, he has done it before. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. But again, th- this goes into the theme of the show. Jane has found a home on Serenity. He may not admit it and he may be a bit gruff and he has his problems with pretty much every member of the crew. But he's found somewhere that they accept him for who he is. Even though they know they can't really trust him, because Mal actually says to Inara, after the explosion, there's no air on the ship. So they send the two shuttles off in different directions, and he sends Jane with Inara, which is very deliberate. He wants Inara protected. So he sends Jane with her so he knows that she'll be safe. But he actually says to her, don't trust him. You know, he'll be good if you get into trouble, and he'll be good if you get into a fight, but don't let him take over. Well, Inara may be the only one who could actually handle Jane as well. Yeah, well, Kaylee. I think Kaylee can as well. Mm. And Zoe. So basically yeah, all the women yeah. on the ship can handle him. <laughs> yeah, but Zoe was out at at, at, at this point. So. Yeah, well, that's why he sends Zoe off with the Doctor, isn't it? And Wash well, is mm. not going to be separated from Zoe. So, And, you know, Jane... Jane was just happy to have his own room and not have to hot rack it. <laughs> and my favourite line is how much are they paying you? Seven percent. That's standard. Who told you that? <laughs> just the, the dialogue in it is just really good. And against see the, the the script it does kind of rely a little bit on coincidence to work. The the fact that they boost the signal, because you can't stop the signal. And then that ship just happens upon them. And they've got a spur compression coil for Mal to swap over. Mal's a little bit naive in that he didn't think they were going to betray him. Well, what choice does he have? That's very true, yeah. He doesn't really have a choice when they come on board. But is everybody in deep space a dick? Yes. Yeah, clearly that's the case. And even even the guy the guy says, hey, you would have done the same thing in my position. It's like, obviously and, not. And Mal doesn't say, well, actually he does say, yeah, obviously I didn't. 
But uh, I think everybody, that's what they think. It's it's that frontier attitude of every man for himself. There's, there's no honor among thieves. I, I do imagine that if the series had carried on, Mal would have met this guy again. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think there had to be a, uh, a comeuppance for the guy. Yeah, but uh, because they're in the middle of deep space, although the galaxy's a small place in Firefly, isn't it? Yeah. They keep running. They do seem to run into people they know frequently. Yeah, so it's like the lost in space thing that they're on a planet somewhere, but they still keep running into people from central casting, so. Or, or uh, Star Trek, wherever they go, they find somebody that Kirk has bedded. <laughs> well, he gets around a lot. Well, once you've slept with James T. Kirk, you've slept pretty much with half the galaxy. So. You know, I thought, I thought it was a nice touch when they do go to the shuttles, and then Inara's, like, kind of lingering, watching him. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a nice touch to it. We don't see much of River and Simon in here, but when... Uh, River's like key points is one, she knows the fire's coming before it happens. Um, and the other one is when Shepherd Book is reading his Bible and you think she's gonna, she's trying to comfort him. You know, you know, she says, it says in there not to be afraid and this and that. And, and and then, um, there's the line about suffocation or whatever. And she's like, no, no, we're gonna freeze to death before we suffer. Before we run out of oxygen, it's like, oh. And Bush just kind of left like, oh, thank you so much for that. I liked her line to Simon when they're celebrating his birthday, where she tells, you know, it's not really applicable in outer space, days. I didn't get you anything. (laughs) (laughs) I I also liked how Kaylee immediately goes to Simon, oh, tell us a funny story about being a doctor. Like, you know, she plays the infatuated girl very well, Mm. which again kind of goes to the innocence that, but it did she do that? that? She has. I thought maybe I thought that at first, but then I thought maybe did she do that just to distract him while she went and got the cake, so that he wouldn't notice what she was doing? She mm. did it to distract him while she went and got the cake, but at the same time, Kaylee does have a bit of a crush on Simon. Well, yeah, yeah, that's yes. <laughs> so, so, so Andy, Andy's being the uh, the arbiter here. Yeah, you're both right. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you are both right. That's the way it. it it played out. But I, I, I like the cake. I'm always more right than Bill. Yes, you are always Flat. more right than Bill is. Pish posh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, just you know what? Just for that, I'm gonna sneak up on you when I'm up at your house, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna put, sh- give you a shot of pure adrenaline right in, in, in your sleep, make you jump right out of the bed. If you, <laughs> if you sneak up on me in my sleep, and you're not successful. There's a good chance that Ben is going home an orphan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just teasing. I would never do. That. Just, just saying, you know. No, and, and I am a light sleeper. <laughs> so, do you think you could give yourself a shot of adrenaline with like that? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I would. I would. The choice. Okay, I give myself the shot of <laughs> adrenaline, or I die. Huh, dying doesn't seem so bad. <laughs> I I hate needles. I don't think I could shove like a three inch needle into my chest. With my luck, I'd miss my heart anyway, and like stab myself in a colon or something. Well, speaking of dying, you do get a subtle hint at why Inara's on Serenity. When she comes on, she actually has that line that I'm not running from anything. And when she's talking to Shepard Butt later, she says, I don't want to die at all. If you remember in Serenity, she's injecting herself with something. She's got a syringe. And it would turn out that she, if the show had carried on, it would have turned out that Inara did have an incurable disease and she was going to die. Mm. So that line, I don't want to die at all, would have become 
foreshadowing had the series carried on, but it didn't. So, so all these little things that they were setting up for the future that would sadly never get paid off. I was talking to, about this show to somebody at work who's a Star Trek fan, mm. and he had never seen he's never seen it, and we were just kind of going through it. And I said, I said I could easily see this as a you know as as one of these Star Trek spinoffs, only you know not the let's stay in line with what's going on in the other series, more 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 like DS Nine where it's going to fi- find its own path. But if it I don't know some of the sensibilities do feel DS9-like to me, which is maybe why we uh, have got such a uh, an affinity for both shows. Yeah, I think there's certain, there's certain elements of it that just wouldn't play out in Star Trek. I mean, everyone thinks that Mal's doing this as a go-down-with-your-ship thing, which Kirk didn't do in Star Trek 3 when he had the choice. He went away because surviving was more important to him. But Mal doesn't see Serenity that way. Mal sees Serenity as his freedom. Whereas in, in Star Trek, it's it's always more they're positioned there and they may love the ship or they may love the station that they're based on. But for Mal, Serenity's his way to get out from underfoot and do whatever he wants to do. And he's not leaving that. If there's a chance he can fix her, he'll stay there. Mm-hmm. But I, th- I think you hit on the key thing there. If there's a chance he can fix her. Yeah. I think... I don't think he was. I don't think he was choosing to go down to, with his ship. I don't think he was looking at it as, okay, this is the end. I think it was, okay, by sending the two of them out, the two shuttles out, and I stay here, I'm tripling our chances of of fix of find, somehow finding a way out of this. Now, all that said, the ship is the least likely place to, you know, the, the least likely one to be successful, so I'll stay on there and let them go, which is, you know, a, a heroic moment of its own, but I, I don't think he necessarily accepted it as this is the end it's doomed i'm going down with the ship mm. no i say that's one of the things about mal he doesn't give up we saw that in serenity even though he's he's beaten by losing the war the war of independence against the alliance he's not beaten by it he doesn't let it drag him down he just starts to fight the fight in his own way in a different way all right you may have won but i'm not going to bow down to you and that's essentially that's what serenity is to him, which is a lovely little. Again, it goes back to what I was on about earlier. The theme of the show is surviving is sometimes heroic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and plus, by obviously by having everybody leave the ship, you can conserve and and stretch out the oxygen that's left there. Yeah, well, I think he maximized the chances of some form of rescue. Mm-hmm. The only thing is, he he didn't have it. If they hadn't just kind of ignored his orders and come back i get well i guess in theory if he hadn't gotten shot in the gut and he had gotten the ship going he would have been able to then go search for them and and well the button would have brought him back back. so huh the button was wired to i guess override the way i understood it was the button was walsh had set up the button that it would automatically override the navigation systems of the shuttles and bring them back to serenity on their own what was the way i understood it and also a little thing about that button. Uh, apparently, Alan Tudyk took that button when he left the sh- when the show was over, and said to Josh Whedon he's, that um, he gave it to jo- Josh Whedon, saying that if if he managed to get the series renewed, he could press it to call the cast back. Aww. Now, who's this guy Walsh you keep talking about? Walsh. Oh, you mean Wash? Walsh. Walsh. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's the same thing. Don't, I know, but it's Bill. Don't make me speak Chinese. You wouldn't <laughs> like me when I speak Chinese. <laughs> um, see, the only problem we've got with this one is it's so damn good we can't tear it apart. There, there really is. This is, I mean, this is as good as it's gotten so far. I, 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 I don't, I can't think of a negative on it. I would argue this is as good as it gets. I think that there are episodes that are almost as equal as this, but for me, this is the best episode of the series. No argument there. It, I, I was trying to uh, to find ways to criticize the uh, the direction or the editing to you know with the flashbacks and try and say oh it's confusing or whatever, but I, I really you know, no, <laughs> I, I don't, no it's, I, it's. I think it's. I think it's masterfully done. I really yeah. do. I think. And again, I do think it requires that you, you know, that you're, you're paying attention to what's going on. Are you going to lose track? And you're going to lose kind of the flow of what's going on. But but, you know. I, but I think it's done really really well as long as you're attentive. I was watching this episode so closely for some reason. Have did. Have you guys noticed the way the stairs are set up in the dining area when they walk out, how they're offset from each other? They're not regular steps where you step up one after another. There's a larger side, like like the bottom one would be almost like at a somewhat of a triangular shape. And then the next one overlaps but is triangular and it goes in the opposite direction. So when your feet come up, it's like a natural thing walking up the steps. And I never spotted that before. Don't ask me why I spotted it this time. It's just like I was so intent on what I was watching and so drawn into it that I just picked up the way the steps were laid out in the dining area. So watch that next time to see what I'm talking about. Or don't. Next time. <laughs> yeah, the, the Serenity set is really well laid out. Yeah, I mean, it it seems functional. I, I never thought, of like, well, you know, if you just offset the steps like that, it's like a natural way – your feet, you know, but well, then I guess you have to hit them in a certain sequence. But you know what? This isn't this isn't the step podcast. So <laughs> no, but you're talking about the layout of the set, and the, apparently they did blueprint the whole thing and decide how it was going to work. But also they do have to allow for camera angles and things. So there are certain sets that are designed to make it easy to film in. So because Joss had apparently said that on Angel, the reason spoilers for the end of the first season of Angel, but at the end of the first season of Angel, they destroy where he lives. And then from the second season onward, he lives in a hotel. And he said the reason that they did that was that the set that he lives in to do his investigative private detective stuff in the first season was a lovely set, but they built it to be a lovely set and they didn't actually build it to be a functional place to film. And so it was a burr to film in. So at the end of the first season, they blow it up and they move him. And he learned from that when he came to do Serenity. Yes, we want this beautiful, functional spaceship, but I want to make it easy to film in as well. So the steps being the way you describe them may make it easier for them to move cameras around and get different camera angles and stuff like that. I don't know, because it's Angela that notices sets on stuff like that more than me. She's the one who noticed in Gilmore Girls. When we do our Gilmore Girls podcast, she's the one who noticed in Gilmore Girls that they changed... Emily and Richard's house at some point. Really? I never noticed that. Ange, what did they change about Emily and Richard's house? Yeah. Right, so there you go. So she notices stuff like that all the time, that they've changed a set or moved a wall or changed the stairs or something like that. So, But I don't, I never spot stuff like that. 
Well, I think my wife will be very happy when we start the Gilmore Girls podcast, right, honey? <laughs> she said, she said, sure, honey. Did she, did she pat you on the head when she said it? No, she didn't pat pat me on the head. But she'll probably hit me on the head with a frying pan, though. <laughs> Welcome to Stars Hollow, a Gilmore Girls podcast. <laughs> I still call it Hazard County. I don't care what you say. Is that the same set? It's the Warner Brothers Batlot. It's Hazard County. Oh, yeah. So, we're going to rate this? or uh... <laughs> We're just going to sit here and go, it's dead good. <laughs> right, well, let me get out my little book, which is the one Michael Bailey sent me with the Darth Vader cover, which is the Walt Simonson, which is from the end of Star Wars. Is it 68? Okay, okay. so episode 8. So, what are we rating it all? Well, you already gave yours away. I already gave mine away, yeah. And uh... Do you, you want to give a... Uh... You know, any any explanation of it, or is it just everything we already said? I think it's, it's mostly what we've all just said, but I think it's that perfect hour of television where everything just comes together. Like you said, you tried to look for editing mistakes, you tried to look for directorial mistakes, there are none. The way that they managed to structure the flashback, so at least as you're watching it, you're kind of figuring out what's going on, and then the second time you watch it and you know what's going on, you notice the little subtle touches with the lighting to show how far back in time and how far forward in time they are. The way that the script is structured is magnificent, and I think Mynir was absolutely right to stick his feet in and say, I'm not changing it, or I quit. Um, the acting's brilliant, the dialogue's brilliant. There's not a lot in the terms of plot, but that's not what the episode's about. The episode's about people, which is what Firefly's about. And if there's any episode at all that perfectly sums up what the show is, that surviving is sometimes the best thing or the most heroic thing that you can do, is um, it's all in this one. Now, I don't know that you could give this one episode to somebody who's never seen the show before. I do think you kind of have to have some knowledge of who the characters are for this episode to work. And and the West Wing kind of did this episode as well in the second season premiere, I believe, but I've never seen the West Wing. But for me, it's the best episode of the series, and it's one of my all-time favourite hours of television. Five. Angela has already written your ratings in. In my book, so you're not allowed to deviate from what she says. <laughs> well, I think I think we're safe with me because I agree with you five. Um, it, it, it as you said, you know, I looked I looked for flaws. I was trying to be critical of it. I think you know sometimes sometimes you watch things and you just think, oh, that was great, and it's like, let me watch it again because then you see it. Oh, yeah, now I see it all. And honestly, I really didn't see flaws to this. I thought the characterization of everybody was was really good. And I liked the fact that it wasn't always what you expected. Um, but nothing seemed necessarily out of character. So, you know, just well done. The story is gripping. Uh, you know, you, you never think Mal is going to die, but you do, you know, wonder how this is all going to play out mm. and it, it didn't necessarily go according to form. Uh, so, you know, surprises in there, well done, well directed, well edited, well scripted, well acted, you know, uh, five. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you can hear in the background, but we got Serenity's engines started. <laughs> Have you got the compression coil fitted? Right. Otherwise known as Dr. Bill's Chinese laundry is, uh, going on be- behind me um but um surprise surprise i'm gonna give this five walsh mustaches out of five (laughs) or wash mustaches out of five depending on your pronunciation so um because 
yeah. For for everything we've said and that the way this starts is it's a mystery. How did we get here? And then we're jumping all around, but it still maintains your focus. You're 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 given a lot of backstory on characters without it having to be an information dump in like another episode or having an episode just focusing. I mean, in one episode, you're given a lot of history on a lot of the characters, and it just flowed. And there, it, there, it, it, I watched this through once and i was like wow that was like that was 44 minutes and it's done and i went back and watched watched it again i mean i really enjoyed this so for, for me it's it's a it is a five i'm not used to you giving us one that doesn't have some sort of strange i was i was gonna do 5.1 just to be me but i decided angela probably said five and she probably kicked my ass yes she's she's wrote fives for both of you and it's the first five star since the pilot. Yeah. So, excellent. Well done. All right. So, well, that was Out of Gas, which got a ringing endorsement from this panel. So, go and check it out and let us know what you think. Do we have anything else before we wrap up and let Dr. Bill go off and do what he's got to do? Uh, no. I mean, I think we've got everything covered this time. Excellent. Next time on an all-new episode of Keep Em Flying. Let's go steal a hospital. It's Ariel. Keep Em Flying, a Firefly podcast, is a Two True Freaks presentation and is hosted by Shepard Bill Robinson, Paul Spataro, and Andrew Leyland. All the music and sound clips used in the show is copyright Fox Broadcasting and is available to buy on the Firefly soundtrack by Greg Edmondson. If you like to buy that soundtrack, maybe you could do it through the Amazon link that is on the TwoTrueFreaks.com website. It costs you nothing extra, but throws a few pennies in our tip jar, which helps us to continue to produce content like this. Every episode of Keep Flying is dedicated to the memory of our pal, Sean Engel. And remember, find a ship, find a crew, keep flying. <laughs>